welcome to the I Am A Health Visitor podcast. My name's Amy. And I'm Jenny. And today we are virtually recording, aren't we, in the glamour of yeah. the podcast world. The glamour of the podcast world, yes. Um, obviously for some podcasts they get to go to the studios and things. Um, I'm currently in my kitchen hiding from my children. <laughs> Really not successfully hiding from my children. Oh, bless. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so we are having a lovely time um, podcasting in our gym jams this morning. And what are we talking about in our pyjamas, Jen? So we're gonna, we thought we'd do a podcast about birthmarks. Mm, um, and I think it's something which often um, is something that we're aware of. Um, especially when we're doing the new birth visits and things yeah. and um, we sort of look out for but I think it often seems to be a bit of a grey area around um, documenting them yeah. and what to do about them and things and yeah. when to be worried so we thought we'd give a bit of um, clarity a bit of a look at yeah a bit of clarity on the situation yeah and some ideas on on practice really and yeah. what what good practice is around so I think um quite often you know it can it can seem like we see them so often so it can seem like I don't really need to worry about them because you see them so frequently that it becomes just yeah not even anything to notice um obviously there are reasons why some particular birthmarks need to be taken notice of and um why we need to be documenting birthmarks and things like that so we thought we would kind of cover um some of those bits and bobs today Um, because I bet there's loads of people who are not really sure on the finer points and I have to say when I was reading for this podcast as always happens when reading for this podcast um there was loads of stuff I didn't know about them absolutely loads yeah definitely um I think it's that thing as well where it's like I think we often see them as a a sort of something that happens on the surface of the skin yeah and we don't really properly know of what what that can indicate as to what's happening underneath and exactly things. yeah um and it is sort of really important to be aware of that yeah also um i think when we were talking beforehand we we were very aware of um the sort of the child protection and element, safeguarding yeah. element around them and around knowing of them um definitely with um with both pigmented and vascular birthmarks which I know we're going to be looking at both today yeah so I mean Um, again when this is one of those things that I hadn't really realized I mean obviously knew that there was a difference but I didn't know which ones were which and and much about it so there's a difference isn't there between vascular birthmarks and pigmented birthmarks so vascular birthmarks are obviously ones that are vascularized so they have like a blood supply of some kind yeah and I think the most obvious example that we see quite regularly are the the strawberry hemangiomas yes yeah um there's something which we often are seeing in babies at birth or developing in those early few weeks yeah and I think because of the 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 obvious very obvious coloring of them yeah the fact they're often raised it's something parents are often quite worried and concerned about yeah and so we often get asked about them yeah um but then you know on the flip side the the pigmented ones are things like blue spots yeah. So where it's yeah. actually uh, changing the tone of the skin. Yeah. Um. And sort of, but that doesn't always mean that it's um it's a less serious 
thing yeah um, I mean it can because be it's pigmented yeah, different things can't it so I suppose we're going to talk about um vascular ones today we're going to talk about salmon patches um hemangiomas and port wine um birthmarks yeah. and then within the pigmented section we're going to talk about blue spot birthmarks cafe au lait birthmarks and um well this is a good one for the game of Amy pronounces but congenital melanocytic nevi which are moles, there basically. We go. And from now on, we're going to call them moles. Because that was a battle enough for me to be able to pronounce it first time round. Oh, Amy. Um, Sometimes I do think you're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> we're going to have, like, one day, uh, maybe as a Christmas present we should, for you all, we should, like, um, do a uh, an episode where we just do Amy pronounces and then Amy, like, falsely, rubbishly pronouncing all this medical <laughs> jargon that she doesn't have a clue what it is. Um, Oh dear. That would be a good episode. So so yeah, they're the they're the kind of broadly the ones we're going to talk about. Now obviously there are loads and loads and loads. And like if you go to Great Ormond Street's website, for example, they have a specialist birthmark um department, if you like. Yeah. Birthmark unit, that's the word unit. Um and they specialise in rare and complex birthmarks and vascular yeah. malformations. So they have a list of maybe, I don't know, what is there like twenty on this website? And most yeah. of them I've not heard of. Um, no, so and we're I not going to be like, covering all of them. Obviously, we're just going to yeah. talk about the most common ones that that health visitors are likely to see in practice. Yeah, and I think it's something that's quite handy for general practice as well. Mm. Yeah, we will occasionally. Some of these things are so rare, you may only see one or two yeah. cases, and not just of birthmarks, but general medical conditions. Yeah, and I think it's worth highlighting. There's absolutely no shame in. Um, looking up on the Great Ormond Street website, Absolutely. even looking up on Wikipedia. Wikipedia entries on these sorts of illnesses are often done by the experts in the field. Mm-hmm. And they're a really good starting point often to get a bit of information and get an idea of other things to look up to find information on there. So, yeah, so I think it's about really when you're aware of an, a rare or an unusual thing that you've not come across is just, you know, like you say, being honest about that. And then what I always yeah. do is go away and find out more about it. And to be honest, I don't, you can't possibly exactly. know about all of these rare conditions. What you generally do is someone on your caseload has something that's, that is unusual that you've not heard of. And then that is your chance to go away. And that is when you find out more about it because you can't prepare yeah. for them all. So no. you just learn about them as you go, really. Um, yeah. It's and actually, I've also found... That. Yeah. yeah. And also, even if they have got a specialist team, making contact with that team. Yeah, and the, the, often the, the clinical nurse specialists and things, especially, are really, really pleased that we're taking interest and yeah. more than happy to share information about, you know, sort of even if it's just the same information they're giving the parent so yeah. that we're singing off the same hymn sheet in a way. And able to really sort of back up the information they've given. Definitely. Because um, I think they'd much rather that than we kind of go off on a tangent or yeah. by being misinformed and being, you know, going by that that thing. Of, and I know we've all done it before where parents will say they're having, that they're having some sort of treatment or they've been advised something. And your immediate thought is, oh, that doesn't sound right, even though we don't know the condition. No, no. And so it's always best to actually clarify rather than just dismissing what they've been told by a specialist. Out absolutely and sort yeah. of clarifying you know, oh yeah I've seen I've seen your I've seen this family they yeah. tell me that they've been advised to do this is that correct yeah because yeah. often they will then say oh yes no we know that sounds unusual but yes it is or 
oh, they've got the wrong end of the stick. What we okay. need to do is yeah, this. absolutely. And I think it's it's important to kind of start from that starting point that um that the advice they've been given is probably correct. Um, yeah. Because you know, otherwise you can cause harm. Obviously, in terms of them not then following the advice because they're listening to you um when exactly. actually the person who's giving them the advice might know much more about might it know a bit do. more yeah so anyway so we're gonna pass on through so um i didn't know the difference really between vascular and pigmented so is that clear then that vascular ones are ones that have a blood supply um and pigmented birthmarks yeah. are ones that are colored like they have a color to the skin obviously vascular ones yes, do have color yeah. as well um but pigmented ones um that's that's the so the difference is the vascularized yeah, so the, the fact that they have a blood the supply. Vas- yeah, the vascular ones will often be a very sort of pink red color because mm. obviously they're vascular. Mm-hmm. Although, and we were doing some reading on this, weren't we? Yeah. Around the um, mangiomas. Yeah, how deep they are in the skin. Yeah. Mm. So when they're on the surface of the skin, they're very red. If they're a bit deeper into the skin, they're blue. So the deeper the the marking that is in the skin. Yeah, the deeper the markers yeah. in the skin, the the, the yeah, difference so it makes in colour, doesn't on, it? On the surface, um, the hemangiomas that you have on the surface of the skin are really red or pink coloured. Um, but you can also have hemangiomas that don't actually really properly break the surface of the skin. They can be deeper into the layers of the skin. Yes, yeah. And then they actually have a blue Yeah, okay. And in reading yesterday, you can even have ones that are sort of below the surface of the skin. And in that case, your skin, there will be no change in coloration of the skin, but you may feel a change, slight change in texture. Okay, yeah. Um, and with the hemangiomas, most are self-limiting. Most yeah. babies have, I mean, I saw a baby the other day who had one almost on the um, sort of the flexor surface where the ankle flexes right mm-hmm. across that part. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, you know, it's not ulcerated or anything, it's not bleeding. And so, yeah, the advice is just to watch and monitor. Yeah. And, I mean, baby was, I think, by this point, about three months old. And mum had noted it hadn't grown anymore. And it was starting to appear to get smaller as she was growing. Okay, and that's generally what happens. Yeah, they, they kind of, they, they stop growing and actually start to shrink back. And yeah. almost, like, kill themselves off in a way. Yeah. Um. That's one of the things, isn't it, with vascularized birthmarks is they do tend to grow because they have a blood supply, whereas the pigmented ones, obviously, they can change size and shape, and some do. But hemangiomas, for example, often grow quite rapidly for the first six months or so. And then after yeah. six months or so, they start to shrink and disappear. They say generally by about seven years of age, they will be um, disappearing. Um, yeah. And they're not generally an issue, unless, like you say, they're bleeding no. or they're becoming all Um, so ones in the nappy area you have to be really careful of uh um, because they're particularly prone to ulceration also if they're near the eyes or the mouth yes yeah um, because they can actually affect well you've had a case haven't you yeah Yeah. yeah so we had a little one who had a hemangioma on his lip 
um, and it was actually just inside his lip. Um, and as he was getting older, you know, by the time he was kind of six, eight weeks, it was really quite prominent and extended down inside his mouth and also down outside on the front of his lip. So you could see it from the front as well. Initially, it just looked yeah. like a little blister. And I think people thought it was a feeding blister to begin with. Um, and then as it got bigger, it became obvious it was a hemangioma. Um, but it was growing in size quite quickly. And that mum was breastfeeding oh. and did, did present quite a lot of issues. She was struggling anyway with yeah. breastfeeding. With positioning and attachment um but this really did kind of get in the way if you like yeah yeah and he ended up being yeah. referred to great ormond street actually um and he was put on um propanolol which is one of the treatments for hemangiomas that they do give yes. obviously yeah. because it's a vasoconstrictor um propanolol can be quite effective in terms of treating hemangiomas obviously i don't yes. know a huge amount about it but um that's my understanding yeah and, and, and it was obviously very effective for him it worked quite well yeah and the thing with propan um propanol is that they need to be weighed quite regularly to keep yes. the dose accurate because yeah. because they're growing so quickly as well very quickly um, yeah um so, the other thing with hemangiomas to be aware of, for health visitors to be aware of, and this is probably the biggest thing, I think, is multiple hemangiomas. So um, lots of um, babies have one or two. That's not an issue at all. No. Um, nothing to worry about. You just basically would advise the mum to keep an eye on it. If it was bleeding or um, showing any other signs or if it was growing very quickly, then they should see a GP. But other than that, it will go away on its own. It's not anything to worry about. If they have five or more hemangiomas, um, there is a slightly higher risk because the, the concern is that having lots of hemangiomas might be indicative of um, internal um, hemangiomas. Yes. So yeah, they say if there's five or more, um, there's an, in, an increased risk of internal involvement. And the more you have, the more that risk goes up. So it's like a dose-response yeah. curve. And because they say that actually what can happen is they can have hemangiomas actually on internal organs. Exactly, yeah. And so that could be a real risk. And I think especially the liver, they're yes. concerned about if you have a hemangioma on the liver. Yeah. And you can imagine how that would be such a, a vascular area to have it that yes. if it got knocked or anything and it could bleed or that's or quite a concern. Really don't want that. Yeah. yeah so that's the, yeah the liver is the most common internal site um yeah. so if there are five or more skin hemangiomas that are visible on the skin um you, you should always be recommending a, an ultrasound um just to yeah. check that there's not internal involvement as well um no. and if there is internal involvement then they'll be likely to be treating a hemangioma um yeah for that yeah um, like we say with with propanolol or i believe there is an alternative to propanolol. there is there's an there's this um topical cream which i want to call timote it sounds a oh, lot timolol. like timolol it says yes timolol. <laughs> Yeah, which is a fine the area. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously I did my I mean, it was a good guess, wasn't it? It was a good guess. Um, so yeah, anyone who knows me knows what my handwriting is like. Um, <laughs> Timothy will do. So that's sort of hemangiomas. So just yeah. to be aware of if there's multiple ones, or if they're growing very rapidly, or if they're in a place that's going to get in the way, like um, by the eye, by the mouth. Yeah. Um, by their nose, obviously, yeah. um, interfering with their breathing and stuff. Yeah. As they grow. Um, and then I think, because I've not, have you seen a port wine stain 
in practice at all? Or I've seen a very small one, but not no, not really. I certainly haven't yeah, seen many. So quite unusual. I think that's kind of the natural thing to follow on with because port yeah. wine stains have very similar colouring mm-hmm. to the Um I think they're often, darker, especially sometimes. yeah, a bit yeah. darker. Um, very like um, very common on face or the upper body, mm. um, and these. Of ones which they do start off quite small, but they can grow, and I think they often appear quite flat to the skin initially. Exactly, I was just but as they get bigger, they can actually um, they can give the, the skin a different texture and things as well. I think they're and generally quite flat. In, in, they're in contrast to hemangiomas, which obviously sit up quite raised off the skin, or they can be quite yeah. lumpy, bumpy. Port wine stains well, are generally fairly flat aren't they yeah and the thing with port wine stains is whereas we said with angiomas they will um that they diminish as they get older on often by about seven years old age they've gone completely Uh the port wine stains don't okay and actually the port wine stains do continue to grow um and i know i've I've known of friends and um sort of acquaintances who have port wine stains Mm. where they they do become quite considerable size and mm. as they get older they that you there is more of a you can tell there's a difference in the texture to the skin as well mm. and so these often the, the first line used to be looking at um camouflage makeup for them um and in fact when you look at the information about them they do um signpost to the um changing faces um, charity which is okay. an amazing organization yeah which does um a lot of work on facial disfigurement no matter um what the causes and things mm-hmm. and so they actually give a lot of advice on um camouflage makeup but often now as well they're treated with lasers mm-hmm. yes yeah. which again work by cutting off that blood supply and it's almost like they gradually um sort of fade the area so i'm not entirely sure if they can ever make it completely go but they really they sort of significantly reduce this redness and reduce it growing much bigger and yeah yeah the um i mean it's quite a port wine is quite an interesting one isn't it because they're quite different from other other birthmarks in that sense that they don't always disappear on their own yeah Um, they don't usually need any special treatment um but but they can have um laser treatment as well yeah like you yeah. say i mean i've I've read that they need spe- they do need protection from the sun so you have to use yeah. a high factor sunscreen on, on which makes sense as well doesn't it because if you've got a large birth that skin is a lot um a lot thinner mm. than the skin where sense, yeah. they haven't got that mark yeah and depending um, on where and, they are yeah. they might have a higher risk of um various different things so um around the eye they have a higher risk of glaucoma for example yeah, um, there's a couple of syndromes on the um on the Great Ormond Street website as well that it talks about that they may have an association with port wine stains. Yeah. Um. So I guess it's it's just important really um for them to be reviewed by a specialist in order to make sure that there's yeah. no, nothing else kind of going on. Although they won't necessarily start any treatment until later on it's it's probably useful to see a doctor fairly early doors 
Um, yeah, definitely. To advise that family and reassure them and just give them that accurate information because quite often we can yeah. we can give sweeping statements like, oh, it's a birthmark, it'll go away on its own, don't worry. Which actually in the case of a port wine stain is not necessarily going to no. be the right advice for that family. So it's about exactly. making, it's definitely making not the right. advice yeah. specific, isn't it? Yeah, and giving that family support as well in that, especially, um, as we said, they're very common on the face. Mm. It's a very notable thing. It's mm. something which they're going to have to, to manage yeah. and feel quite challenged with those sort of, yeah, it's an additional challenge sure. on what's already, you know, parenting generally is difficult and managing those transitions with nursery and school and things is tricky. Yeah. When you've got a child with something so notable, your immediate fear is, that's going to make them stand out it's going to make them different yeah wanting to be sure of that yeah definitely and then that's port wine stains so they're kind of two of the vascular birthmarks and the last one that we haven't talked about is salmon patches no um, and i think a brief to talk about yeah and i think we wanted to write that last one because i think that does lead on quite nicely to the pigmented ones because i think sometimes we would always think of it as a pigmented one so we call them um salmon marks but they're they're commonly known as um, stalk marks. Stalk marks, yeah. And they're the little red marks that babies often have on back of the neck or back of the head or something. And um, the old the myth is, yeah, that they're the marks from where the stalk carried them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they're quite common around the forehead or over the eye, yes, aren't they? Near yeah. the eye, eyelids. Um, they're very flat pink patches or red patches. Yeah. Um, and they realizing, can actually, you know, that we've chosen to um, do an audio podcast about a really quite visual. <laughs> yeah. Topic. So we'll, well link to I'm some hoping, pictures of all these birthmarks. I was going to say, and also not that <laughs> not that I'm um, yeah blowing smoke up our bottoms or anything, but I think we have quite talented. Uh, and amazing <laughs> listeners who are quite well, that's um, true. motivated fabulous, of course yeah, yeah absolutely quite quite motivated to uh, look these things up yeah. and do a bit of self-directed work and, and i think uh, to what be a honest, lovely way to uh, what a lovely thing to add on to uh, revalidation absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> and when when you do see them as well like i think from our description maybe you will or won't recognize what they look like you can't maybe you can't pull the image to mind but as soon as you see a picture of it you'll go ah that's what they meant so that's a salmon patch oh that's a mangioma yeah. like if you if you can't pull it to mind already so don't no. worry too much about it we'll link to some um, pictures as well yeah. the nhs website is very good actually for pictures so they they often blanch as well because i uh-huh. think sometimes as well you can see them and be a bit worried about oh is this a non-blanching rash, rash? but no yes. they blanch yeah um, they do come up. I think parents have often been concerned because they, they'll be like, oh, my God, and then it comes up really bright pink. And yes. you'll be like, okay, so when does it come up really bright pink? Well, when they're crying and screaming. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe generally go pink, and so it makes sense that a little mark like that will go pinker. Yeah, they fill um, with blood, I, don't they, when they're crying, so they, they uh, change. And I, I guess that's something that does make it a new bit different to um, a strawberry mangioma does not change colour depending on the baby's no. mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do look quite different from strawberry hemangiomas, don't they? In the sense that yeah. they're flat as well, whereas hemangioma is obviously quite lumpy, bumpy. Um, yeah. But yeah, they generally fade on their own in a few months. Yeah. Um, can take slightly longer depending on where they are. It says here that patches on the back of the neck can last longer. 
um yeah which is interesting so but yeah. other than that i mean they're not anything to worry about no and it's funny when you see facts like that about like the back of the neck lasting longer you kind of think well why is that but yeah, also at the same true. time it's like i know in practice that yes i have seen them they're yeah. longer than other yeah. places yeah. um and then we kind of move on to the pigmented. Yeah, so let's talk and pigmented birthmarks then. So so I think the, one of the most common ones that we see are the, the blue spots. Yeah, the blue spots. So they used so, to be called Mongolian blue spots, didn't they? They and did. And I was saying to you yesterday, why are they not called Mongolian blue spots anymore? Because I know I'm not supposed to call them that. I mean, no. obviously, and it, it sounds out. because it's quite offensive, I assume. But yeah. what was the story and, about it? Um, well, apparently the, the German physician who first saw them um, erroneously thought that they were only in the Mongolian population. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, okay. A bit misleading, that. Yeah. Um, but they are very common in um, Asian, African... Yeah, darker um, skin tones. Sort of darker skin tones. Yeah. Um, Asian tones. And these are often um, something which you, know, you need to document very yeah, carefully yeah. when you see them, where you see them because they um, can sometimes be mistaken as bruising. Yeah. And so having an accurate record of them having been on, on the body, where or, they are, yeah. present from birth, is such an important thing. Yeah. So um, I always just make a little note. If I see one, I just put something in the notes page of the red book that just says, um, blue spot birthmark noted, and then where I've noted it. Um, and then yeah. I'll just point out to the parents that I've written that in there, just in case anyone ever asks you about this birthmark, you know, you can explain and you can show them this page. And then they know so that in future, if anything does come up and somebody did think it was a bruise, we can avert a kind of really upsetting situation for the family um, quite yeah. quickly and easily by having documented it properly early on. Um, exactly. And, and we were talking about how you document them because... I was saying that I don't always know the correct anatomical words. Like you, no. you said just now something about the is it the flexor of the foot, the top part yes. of the foot. Yeah. Now I wouldn't have known that was called a flex. I'd have just put, you know, <laughs> the top surface of the foot yeah. over the ankle or, yeah, or something cre- like that. Cre- you know, crease of the ankle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just have to be clear. So if you don't necessarily know the anatomical language, um, and you don't have Jen's amazing dictionary brain. You you can just kind of use <laughs> like standard words like I do, but as long as they're clear, that's the main thing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's that thing of making sure that no matter who reads it, they are going to know Understand it. Yeah. where they're looking, what size it should be, yeah, um, and where it is. And I mean, these often they fade by the time they're two, three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, they they don't need any active treatment. They're often, I think, the other thing as well from the point of view of safety, they are often on across the buttocks the lower back the tops of the legs yeah so it it can sometimes look like they've had a uh, a bit of a spanking or something Mm. but it isn't the case um and I know from my own sort of experience in pedaline especially um having to explain to police that no I'm not concerned about this mark this is a this is a blue spot and the, the tone of them is often quite the same all over whereas with a bruise you often see some changes, some different colours. Yeah. It's very, very rare that a bruise will be such even colour right throughout yeah. the bruise. Yeah. Um, 
from bruises some that you can see that you go oh that's clearly a blue spot birthmark you know there's not many people would mistake that for a bruise um but others i think really do look like bruises um definitely yeah. does happen that they get mistaken yeah. so it's quite important. Oh, definitely i think especially on the very darker skin it can be quite tricky sometimes to mm. really be certain of what you're looking at and things. I've actually, and it can be difficult as well to distinguish between these and um, a hemangioma that's quite deep down in the skin. So I was telling oh, you I had yeah. a, um, a case actually once. Um, it was a family I was working with where there were safeguarding concerns already, um, quite significant concerns in terms of domestic abuse um, in the home. And baby newborn um seen at birth no birthmarks and then I saw him again when he was about four weeks old and he developed this kind of bluish discoloration on his cheek um and obviously oh. only four weeks that was kind of yeah. raising some concerns for me around how yeah. would that have happened it's quite an unusual place to get a birthmark obviously it's a non-mobile baby um yeah sorry an unusual place to get a bruise even obviously it's a non-mobile baby it didn't look like a blue spot birthmark and I was sort of thinking I don't really know quite what this is so I suggested they went to um to see I wanted them to be reviewed either by the GP or by a pediatrician um in A&E just to identify what this actually was um and and you know Obviously, if we hadn't have been able to identify it as a birthmark, that would have been quite a serious safeguarding concern. It actually turned out to be a hemangioma that was very deep down in the skin, so it was blue. And it did have quite Uh... a lumpy... You know, when you touched it, it was that you could feel a lump under the skin, which is obviously suggestive of a hemangioma. But, you know, my concern also was I wanted this reviewed just from a medical perspective, because if it is a birthmark, which is growing quite rapidly, then you know, that perhaps needs reviewing because of the location of where it was. So, um, Well, also with bruising, you often feel a, a, a lump or a swelling underneath yes, you the can, side of a yeah. bruise. So again, it's like, it's you, if anything, you're going to be making it? you feel it. And that's the other thing as well with the hemang- um, with um, blue spots. I'm getting our birthmarks muddled up here. With the <laughs> blue spot, that you don't feel any lumpiness under the skin. It always feels very smooth. Yes, yeah, good things. point, yeah. So that's, Mon- Mon- um, not Mongolian, that's blue spot birthmark. Yes. The NHS website still calls them Mongolian spots, so that's why I keep getting, because I, I, I'm reading that oh. at the same time and confusing yeah. myself. So that's them. Um, and then the Café Olay spots. Café Olay. So this is probably, if we're going to talk about birthmarks you need to be aware of, Obviously, hemangiomas, multiple ones of them you need to be aware of. But cafe au lait probably carry the most serious um, consequences yes. if we don't catch it, don't they? Yeah. Um, and just sort of, and it's that thing as well, we're not so much catching it, but just being aware of the wider implication. Yeah, yeah. If we so don't, you know, raise spoken, it and, and know what yeah. we're looking for. Yeah. So I think we mentioned um, childhood Shima Trust before at least a mm-hmm. couple of times. I know on last year's podcast, um, CPHPA podcast that we did when I'd been to the conference, yeah. I'd spoken to them. And interesting news here, I saw that they did actually fund places for a couple of health visitors to attend yes, um, yeah. conference, which was great. And, I actually uh, chatted to them at conference. Um, I was talking to, um, there was a couple of student health visitors that had attended um, and ah. I did record something with them. Um, Oh, brilliant! So, yeah, that may that may come on a later episode, perhaps. But they were talking about um, their new tool, which is about a body map. Um, yeah. For- 
for mapping cafe LA spots that they want to try yeah. and get introduced into the Red Book. Yeah, so we can talk about that again in a second because I know there's yeah. quite interesting stuff on um, on that and just more generally, I think, with birthmarks and body mapping. Yes, um, yeah, good point. But yeah. the Cafe Olay, so what we're looking at, we often see children with one or two Cafe Olay marks and these are the little brown patches of discoloration. They're called Cafe Olay because it looks like a milky coffee. Yeah, um, that coloration kind of is that yeah. kind of colour. Um, and... The times who can be concerned is that, I mean, their big campaign is to count the cows, <laughs> as they call it. Count the cows. And count the cows, yeah. So, oh, the cows, um, yeah. Like I said, people often have maybe one, two, three. However, if a child has six or more cafe yeah. lay spots, which are 0.5 centimetres or more in uh, diameter, they have a 95% chance of having neurofibromatosis type 1. Mm-hmm. And this is a condition which can increase the risk of having um, ASD or ADHD, um, scoliosis and optic gliomas, mm-hmm. okay. as well as um, the um, neurofibromatosis. Um, in women, it can also cause an increased risk of breast cancer. Okay. And so you may have it where you may have a child who has six or more cafe au lait marks and you're thinking oh we need to look at screening you for neurofibromatosis we might also need to ask the mum to have a look at herself mm-hmm. and see how many of the marks she has that's a good point yeah and really because actually point. if she has that which might not have been identified beforehand yeah and um, she needs to have breast cancer screening sooner because okay. of the the risk of more increased risk of breast so. That's really interesting. I didn't realise that. That's great to know. Um, so neurofibromatosis yeah, so is essentially a condition, isn't it, that that causes tumours to grow along along nerves? Yeah, yeah. And so obviously that's how the increased risk of breast cancer comes because there's increased risk of these um, growing. And, yeah, I think they are generally at increased risk of, um, of, of, can- of cancers. Um, so it can be, it's not always something to majorly worry about because it can be quite mild um, and, and not really cause any serious health problems. But it also, it also, so it can be quite mild and not really cause any health problems, but it also can cause quite severe symptoms. And obviously it does put people at high risk of other things. So it's quite important if a child has developed five or more cafe au lait spots by the time they're five years old, um, that they need to be seen and that's something that's important to communicate to a parent if you see a child with cafe au lait spots to say it's really common for them to have one or two that's absolutely fine nothing to worry about if you see yeah. and just keep an eye on it if you see that there's more than five developing um, by the time they're five years old then you really need to um, get that checked out and um, go to your GP and get yeah. a referral um, so looking at statistics, 60% of people with NF1 have mild cases, few symptoms and very little effect on their day-to-day lives. 20% have moderate cases with several symptoms that have um, little more than a cosmetic effect. Okay. And the other 20% have severe cases. Um, but even in that last group, symptoms are rarely nitro. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, it's, like, it's quite in, it is. It, amazing i always find it amazing how and i mean this is a yeah this is a genetic condition this is something which is just a um 
a mutation of a gene on chromosome 17. Yeah. And it just amazed me how, yeah, this one little tweak on one little Tiny chromosome yeah. can, um, can cause such wide-reaching effects and things. Yeah. Um, it is amazing how big um, a sort of an impact it can have. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just, just to be aware of it for health visitors who weren't previously aware of it, to be aware of that um, with Cafe Ole birthmarks. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I was about to sign to the Childhood, yeah. Childhood Tumour Trust um, website. Yeah. Their pages um, are really good. I will link to them. They are amazing. Them. And they have been, as we mentioned, campaigning with. Um, IHV and they've been to Parliament recently about trying to raise the um, awareness and really get the body map page in all red books. Yeah, um, which would be amazing. It would be really because, useful. And as we said, not just even for the the cafe lay marks, but to be able to record blue spots, to be able yeah. to record hemangiomas, anything. I do still find it quite amazing that we don't have a standard. Any sort of formal documentation or body maps in red books, yeah, Um, because it'd be such a useful thing. That and that and genograms. It's like yes, that's true. Actually, (laughs) genogram would be very useful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Um, it's yeah. I think I think it's a really really good idea, and I think it would give a bit of standardisation, and and it would give clarity as well to recording it. Because when you're recording where it is, we were talking about the importance of being clear with your language, um, and I think that can be really challenging sometimes to describe exactly where something is in words you know where actually if you had a body map that would be easy peasy wouldn't it no and you can actually download a body map from them so you you can actually print it out yourself and put into the red books so that's already available to do that yeah yeah it's already available you can get it via the ihv website um and print it out to the correct size um, for the red book so i think it would be i mean it, it looks like it comes out as one sheet um, I'm guessing you'd need to maybe reduce the size of that on your yeah. photocopier. So if, if you're okay with how your photocopier works, or <laughs> you have a lovely admin team who can help you with that, yeah. <laughs> or, or colleagues, then um, you can you can do those things. But yeah, it's like, it is there. I mean, they're saying that anyone who has the six or more Olay, Cafe Olay spots should have yeah. this page in the red book. Okay. But there's resistance um, as to how useful it would be to have it in all red books. Okay, okay. I suppose the point is really, it's obvious if you if they have six or more, then it's obvious, isn't it? You can say, right, okay, well, they need the page now. But um, the point is that you're going to be encountering them at any point along that journey. So you might encounter them when yeah. they have two or three or four. And it's like, well, yeah. okay, at that point, they're all recorded in different places and by different people. And actually, if you had one body map and you could easily look at it and say, right, they've got two already, I can see they're here and here. And I'm going to add one on yeah. here. And then I'm going to, you know, and the next person sees it yeah. and they can add one on. It gives you a much clearer picture of how things are actually happening for that child. Um, so I can definitely see the yeah. argument. And for other things as well, like, Comangiome, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is tricky sometimes because obviously, I mean, I know in A&E, if we were doing a body map, it would be an A4 page. Yes, And obviously in, in with the red books, we have that limitation of the page sizing and trying to label something so small is really tricky. Mm. But... Doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. Yeah, <laughs> it would be better than nothing, which is what we currently have, isn't it? Um, 
the only thing that I wanted to just briefly mention was this um yeah. <laughs> the one that I can't say congenital melanocytic yes. nevi um which I moles. think are essentially moles yeah um <laughs> the reason I want to talk about them is not because they are um particularly interesting in and of themselves but just because I suppose when I was looking this up I was sort of wondering where do moles fit in is mole like a slang term for one of these things or is it not really a proper description or is it something different entirely so I guess I wanted to clear that up in case there's anyone yeah. who has a unfortunate enough to have a brain like mine and they're wondering the same thing so yeah and moles, also you can have yeah. yeah I mean you can have moles in children that are still quite considerable in size yes you can of course you can um, yeah absolutely yeah, I mean I know a family born who had a child born who had a mole right between sort of at the top of her nose like right between her eyes yeah and had to have surgical sort of removal gradually over a number of years okay okay um so yeah they they we I think we always think of them as an adult thing and a sort of checking your moles and if they're changing with a view to skin cancer but yeah i think it's so important to have that awareness of them at, as um looking at babies as well absolutely well they're, they're there from birth usually so um although they can appear later obviously and that actually we should have said that applies to all birthmarks so most are there from birth but some do present in the first few weeks yes after birth yeah, so they so... don't necessarily they're not always there from birth so sometimes you can do a six week check and a birthmark has popped up that wasn't there at your yes. new birth that does happen yeah so yeah so moles um generally brown or black they're present from birth normally fairly common um it's just basically those those pigments get cells in the skin it's just an overgrowth of those cells it's not anything really to worry about um they generally become smaller and obvious with time but i think that's proportionally so as the child grows the mole stays the same size so they look smaller rather than they're actually shrinking if that makes sense yeah Um, they can change shape or size um, or darken particularly in puberty so it can get darker it's like hormonal changes can make a difference and obviously we know um from ourselves that moles can become bumpy or hairy um and they can change in texture um so generally um they have huge range of sizes obviously some of them you know really tiny and then they go up to sort of 20 centimeters ish which is really quite big for a mole wow. obviously yeah um, yeah and and it says that the risk of them developing into skin cancer is low um but that that yeah. risk does increase the larger the mole is right so very yeah. large that makes have a higher risk yeah exactly yeah um so nothing really to say about them other than other than that other than just look being aware of the size of them okay cool no, so most of the time, um, birthmarks, the only thing you're doing with them is documenting them. Um, and yeah. then some of the time, there may be red flags for you to look at. So those red flags would be with a hemangioma, if they've got multiple ones, um, with cafe. If they're ulcerated. Yeah, if hemangiomas are ulcerated or bleeding. If um, the cafe lay spots, if they've got five or more by the time the child is five. Or six, six or six, more by the time the child more. is five, sorry. And they have to be bigger than 0.5 centimetres. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and and obviously the safeguarding element of, of checking out um, blue spots and making sure they're yes. documented accurately. Um, cool. So that's, that's them. Generally, yeah. they don't need any treatment unless 
there's you know a block to the airways or, or anything like that yeah or if there's such a sign it's one of those things it's um yeah it's, it's more a case where we might we're not going to make that call on if they need treatment or not it's no, going to be but not, it's no. a thing of being aware that especially with the hemangiomas and things they might be having um, the propanol so we need to monitor their weight regularly for that yeah, yeah. also with the um, port wine stains they're going um, the laser treatment, laser treatment, or options for treatment. I'm guessing it's possibly. Yeah, can't imagine. I don't. I mean, it, we didn't see anything about how early laser treatment would start, did we? Um, I'm not sure how it easy says, it would be to be on a smaller child. I think it depends on why they're doing it, and um, so so if it's doing for a port wine stain, for example. Um, I think it's later in infancy generally, but obviously if they're doing it for a hemangioma, say that is blocking an airway, um, then they're going to be doing that much more quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it, it obviously depends on why they're doing it. So I hope that's been really helpful. And um, we're going to signpost you to a bit of further reading and pictures of the birth <laughs> Yeah, pretty pictures. Um, we all love a pretty and, picture. Yeah, and we'll speak to you soon. So in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at IamAHB. Um, on Facebook, I'm a health visitor, and if you want to contact us, you can contact us via either of those um, places, or even with almost what feels like now traditional email address. Um, <laughs> yeah. I am a health visitor at gmail dot com. Yeah. Um, thanks ever so much for listening, and if you're on iTunes, please do rate and review us. Um, it'd be lovely to get yeah. some more reviews on there. Um, I know all the really big podcasts say about how it helps where they are in the ratings and things. Um, I know we're quite small fry, but we'd really love to be somewhere on the. <laughs> we rating. just like the feedback. We always love feedback. Yeah. Tell us if we've got something wrong, as ever. I'm always keen to hear if we've got something wrong. Yes. As, as well, well as, as if, if we did anything right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for tuning in. Yeah, and hope to hear from you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.